Geekly Yoked is a proud member of the Crossover Nexus. To find more blogs and podcasts about the intersection of faith and pop culture, check out crossovernexus.com. Tell them Bilbo sent you. So many ways to say I love you in different languages across the land. You haven't heard them all, so I'll tell you as only a true geek can. Hello and welcome to Geekly Yoked, the world's best married Christian geek podcast. As always, I'm Lehman Kessler. I'm Rachel Kessler. That's Mother Rachel Kessler. I am the chaplain here at Kenyon College and still not a priest of the Episcopal Church. You're something. As far as I know, uh, the unending saga of Rachel's ministry without a church. We have a nice church, though. It's a lovely church. I meant more in the sense of, like, larger ecclesial ownership. But isn't the church all one thing? One day. One day I will actually call myself an Episcopal priest. Fair enough. Till then, you're still the Ronin Samurai priest. Whoosh. I am surprisingly not completely exhausted. That is no. that that is amazing. I'm, I'm blaming this on our oddly spring-like weather, which has rejuvenated my joie de vivre. It it, it did get suddenly very springy very fast. I, it's going to go away, but I needed it. I I don't blame you. How has your geek fortnight been? Sunny. Yeah. Well, at least in the latter bit. Yes. Ah, uh, it has been lo- I finally finished Wild Seed! Everyone be proud of me that it took me a month to read a book. I haven't read a book. But I also read another book. I did read Just Mercy as well. Oh, that's true. That is true. So, it only took me, on average, two weeks to read a book. I fail. Yay! That's better than I did. <laughs> I just keep looking at the Bujold and kind of cringing. I just... I... I was so exhausted that every time I sit down to read, I fall asleep, which probably says something about my need to get more sleep. Fair enough. You do still have a small child in the midst of all this. It's true. It's true. But it was very challenging, interesting, weird, much racial dynamics that shall probably be explored in a forthcoming blog post. Ooh. But, I mean, it, it definitely, I mean, it, uh, lots of post-colonial themes, you know, the whole the whole thing is like this woman who is taken from Africa by someone who wants to use her for his own ends and agenda and how their various power dynamics play out and how she is able to... Uh, at times wrestle with her own inability to push against his claim on her and how she finds ways of doing so, but has to do so by, in a way, submitting to the rules that he determines. Okay. I can see that. I can see how that's that's being very post-colonial. Well, and, and the fact that it deals with people who... Um, the fact that it deals with people who who are not limited to one body, right. right? They are both black African characters who the the male has not had his own body for millennia and is effectively just a consciousness that takes other bodies. And the female is a shapeshifter who can put herself in any form. This is very confusing if you haven't read this book, Rachel. <laughs> I'm sorry. Not going to lie to you. But, but like, can you accept that premise that if you have two characters who are not bound to... I mean, because that, that is, like, the deal with... Which of them is the Jon Snow? <laughs> but the problem with, like, issues of marginalized groups or systemic racism or sexism is that we are all in particular bodies, right? Yes. I am in a white female body. Yes. And I cannot change that, and I exist within certain systems and structures because of that. But if you have two characters, both of whom can change body at will, what does that mean for their identity? And the woman, clearly, though she can take other forms, still holds to this, like, to who she is as a black woman. And it is clear that every other form she takes is a disguise, whereas the man does not limit himself to such categories. Mm. And there's something to that as well. Okay, yes. No, I can see that. 
So that that is going to create an interesting dynamic. Yes. When characters have a racial identity but are not limited to that racial identity and how they move about the world in those different bodies and why they choose certain bodies in certain situations is has a distinct commentary to it. Are you going to read more of her work now? Oh yeah. Okay. So that's 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 the big main takeaway. This is not <laughs> this is not scared you off of her. Why would it scare me off? Well, I don't know. It's 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 scaring me off just hearing about it. <laughs> you have to read it. Like this my my one criticism of the book early on was that it went into like way too much detail trying to explain the mechanic like like this is the female character and this is what she can do and like it was going into detail of like well she can do this but she can't do this and this is how it works and this is how she changes shape and this is how she manages to heal herself and age herself and like how she goes into the molecular biology of the different right 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 um so it is a little complicated. There's a lot of telling, not showing, as it well, were. Well, no, it's shown. It's definitely shown. Okay. It's just really complicated. I, I, in yes, terms of, I like, agree. The mechanics of how it all works. Gotcha. I would like it's not just like this is a thing and you enter into the mystery of it. Right. So I, it's kind of hard to. I don't mean it to be overwhelming as I explain it. Well, I just I just wanted to <laughs> highlight that idea of if you have characters that are not limited to particular bodies, that's going to have an interesting impact on what the book says about race, race and gender. No, I, I definitely agree. The only thing I can think to compare it to is Dax. <laughs> that's all like, like, what's something I've seen or read that involves people having different bodies? The Dax symbiote? <laughs> uh... I have also rediscovered my strange love of Sleepy Hollow, which will feed into our topic for this week, so maybe you should... I haven't done anything. I, I, I got to go out to uh, Canton, Ohio to do my Lovecraft Were you stick. the hero of Canton? I was... No. <laughs> no. That was a very... It was, a, it was very strange because it was this sort of science fiction and steampunk and just general nerd convention going on, but then there was also like aluminum siding and like bath reef like retrofitting and it's you're sort of uh hold up ohio like let's let's look at at at, you know one of these things is not like the other like there is doctor who plushies for sale next to geeks need to side their homes (laughs) it was very strange geeks are people too i suppose but like it wasn't even like ah it's the aluminum siding of the future it's just would you like to look at my ceramics so that was a that was the odd mall uh, exhibition and i uh, i got to appear um uh just doing my my standard Lovecraft show, uh, but I also got got interviewed for the Geek Watch One podcast. Uh, you get to hear me uh, being interviewed as H.P. Lovecraft entirely in character, which I didn't know I was going to have to do. Uh, I thought like maybe I'll talk about me Lehman. Nope, I, they just wanted to talk to Lovecraft. Uh, we got to play Dungeons and Dragons with the president of Kenyon College and other fun members of the community. Uh, yes, assorted faculty, staff, and uh, small children. This is the world we live in now. Oh, we're going to get to the world we live in very soon. Uh, is that Arcadia? We're going to talk about this. The, the absolute most Kenyan-y thing I, I have done so far. <laughs> but the reason we came back here was to do things like sit around a living room reading Arcadia. We, we, we were part of a drawing room staged reading like like Victorians would do. Well, yes, because we live in Gambier, and this is why we moved back to Gambier. But, but yeah, so we thought that the Dungeons and Dragons, you know, with the president would be the sort of, you know, geekiest sort of twee thing we would do uh, between shows. But no, no, random Arcadia reading, I, I think, winds up being geekier than playing Dungeons and Dragons. So kudos, Bob, if you're listening. Well done. Well played. That was pretty amazing. It was awesome. And, and we'll also tie into our, uh, uh, our conversation this evening. Which is? A mystery. Or rather, we're going to be talking about mysteries and the and the role that they play in the, the fiction that we love uh, and also in just in how it touches on a lot of, I don't know, different kind of narratives we explore and play with. Well, specifically this came up because in addition to my rediscovering Sleepy Hollow because it is back from its its winter hiatus and 
seems to be good again. Sleepy Hollow goes in waves. The first half of the third season was not very good. But it looks! The show is making me believe again, and oh, that's unfortunate. Yes. Anyway, um, so we were watching that, and uh, we also, for some reason, watched the first couple episodes of Lucifer. Well, I've been hearing decent things about yeah. it, and it looks sort of fun, and I liked I liked the original DC Lucifer character from that one Sandman uh, season of Mists. Uh, oh right, yeah. Comic, uh, but I never watched. I never read the actual Lucifer itself, like the actual comic run that they did. Um, but so I was started, interested. Yeah, so we started watching the show Lucifer, and the like. I would say the main guy in it is really good. Tom Ellis. Sure. Something. Sure. British British Mick. British. Uh, Five o'clock shadow. Didn't you determine that he was Ikapon Crane's evil twin? That, well, that that yes, that was what. <laughs> <laughs> well, this was what I think started us thinking about this, this, the premise for tonight, was you had these two shows that really are about ridiculous supernatural shenanigans. And I think, I think Lucifer is a particular example. Like, Sleepy Hollow, at least, is, it is definitely a crime, at its best, it is a crime procedural with supernatural elements. Well, and we're going to get to the the, um, P, the P word. Yes, its, the P word. Let's suspend the P word for a moment. But so at its best, Sleepy Hollow is a crime show with some supernatural elements. When it tried to become a soap opera last season, that did not work for anyone. Um, and Lucifer is something of the same. Lucifer, thing. Lucifer is much more of a direct crime show. I mean, right. it, it doesn't but have I monsters feel like, of the week. Well, that's the thing. I feel like Lucifer could be. There is a good show buried under a very boring crime show. Well, it's or a the, very routine crime. The, the, show. Cri- the crime stuff is weirdly tacked somewhere. On. Somewhere there is a mythology underneath this show. There is like there is some metaphysics. There is some divine reality. There's some idea this show has of God. There's some idea this show has of how Lucifer came to be cast into hell. There's some like relationship between Lucifer and God and Lucifer and his brother played by Principal Wood from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, <laughs> whose character's name I can't remember, but Angel Dude. Like, there is some relationship between all of these people. There is some, like, backstory and mythology that I feel like someone working on this show cares about. And then someone, like, took that into a weird, like, TV sausage maker and made it a really uninteresting straightforward crime show well and and that's and that's the thing right we're only like three or four episodes yeah in like it's still fairly new yeah and I, I'm curious what direction they're gonna go in because yeah because yeah, right now there's this weird mix I am I'm compelled enough to keep watching yeah same here and and that's and that has little to do with nothing to do with the the crimes being solved no uh and even very little to do with the mythology like I'm not like I think Generally speaking, as as unchurched or unbiblically literate as as folks are, we have a te- we have a pretty good idea of the, if not biblical devil, the kind of pop cultural devil. Right, right. People get this idea of you know war in heaven, cast into hell, rebellious yeah. attitude, what have you. Like I don't need to know the deep mythology of it, right? Except like, that you would really like. Uh, TV's Lucifer to come tell you what your deepest desires are. <laughs> I, I do. To I, give yes. you some direction in I, life. I, I, TV's, TV's <laughs> Lucifer's superpower uh, to to be able to get someone to confess what their greatest desire is would be most useful for a guidance counselor. <laughs> like that's that, like it's not it's not good for solving crimes. It's good for like figuring out what someone's major should be. Um, but what's fa- what I like about it and what's still keeping me watching uh, is just the character dynamics, right? More than the mythology and more than the, you know, like, oh, I wonder what LA crime they're going to solve. Like that, I, you know, it's, it's, I like the Lucifer character. I like his, his bizarre little therapist. Yes. Um, I even like the, the sort of the kind of, for the moment, somewhat generic, but not too generic policewoman. Like, like she's not, you know, she, she, they have given her some personality, right? Like she's like, I was never a huge fan of Olivia on Fringe. I loved Olivia on Fringe. They just never let her be as awesome as she could have been. I liked Olivia on Fringe because you were allowed to have... Okay, so let me go on a tangent for a second. So in my 
my apologies, good listeners. In my rediscovery of Sleepy Hollow, what I have also stumbled upon in unfortunate Twittering is the world of Ichabod and Abby shipper fandom. Ichababby. 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 I prefer Ichababby. (laughs) Because that leads to the question, how is Ichababby formed? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Anyway, and one of the things that has people really incensed in this shipperdom is feeling, particularly people of color watching the show, feeling that Nicole Beharry, who plays Lieutenant Abby Mills, is not being given her due as a romantic heroine, that they want to see a story about a black woman who is allowed to exist outside of the strong black woman trope, that that mm. she can be a strong, butt-kicking police detective and at the same time get all the makeouts well no but but have that vulnerability and humanity Mm. fully realized sexual human woman right um and that that so often black women are not allowed to be that they are the black best friend or they are like the strong black woman and so they want to see abby be able to have what they feel like a white woman would have in her role, which is to be able to be the romantic heroine. And I think there is something really to that. And I think it is probably true that the show would be a lot when you have two characters with as much chemistry as these two characters have, any other show would be really foolish in not, not pursuing that right. Peter and Olivia by the third season of Fringe, were clearly in a romantic relationship. It was not fully worked out. They were not in, like, a committed set relationship until, like, the very end of the third season because of the whole faux Olivia multiple dimensions thing. But, like, even within, like, well into the second season, there was a, like, clear romantic connection between them that took, like, a season and a half to play out. But for two shows on the Fox network. Anyway, my point about Olivia is that for me, as like a not particularly conventionally attractive or like feminine person, it was wonderful for me to see someone like Olivia, who is not a particularly dolled up female lead who wears her hair back in a ponytail and is fairly as like within her character in the show, fairly like plain Janie gets to be the romantic. Mm, oh, I see. Okay. Right. I see what you're saying. And I really appreciated that about like, that was one of the things that I loved about fringe is that Olivia didn't have to be particularly girly in order to get Pacey. Oh, Pacey. <laughs> oh, Pacey and Dr. Denethor. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Dr. Oh, Dr. Denethor who kind of ruined sleepy hollow. Ugh. I'm sorry, John Noble. I wanted to believe in you. I wanted to believe in you. Well, that was that was um, the that was the season of unfortunate course correction. We need more white men. Yeah. Um. Anyway, that was a long digression to say that. Oh, you didn't particularly like Olivia's character on Fringe. Well, again, I you know there's this. I feel like there's this tendency that I've seen now in a few of these these kind of copish type shows. You know, you have the quirky, strange guy. And mm-hmm. the kind of straight-laced, no-nonsense, finger-wagging woman, right? Right. The, sort of the Scully, yes. the the Olivia, the the Lieutenant Abby. Yeah. Uh, and now we have it with uh, Chloe? Chloe, yes. Uh, you know, just just sort of, I'm skeptical, and oh, you, you're, I'm not going to put up with your shenanigans, and you, male actor lead, are allowed to be quirky and, and fun and sassy and break all the rules and sexually harass. Yeah, he does sexually harass. Well, um... <laughs> Is it possible to have that dynamic reversed without the female becoming a manic pixie dream princess? I don't know. I don't. I, Sorry, I don't. that's another digression. I mean, well, well, we're going to touch on that a bit. Okay. Because Angel. Oh. Okay. So, so, so All one right. of the things we were sort of looking at was talking about, you know, when shows either become procedurals or start off as procedurals or. You know, they have that element of, of mystery attached to them. And this, we went to Facebook to ask, what do you consider a procedural? And it got very sort of back and forth. Uh, and the general conclusion that was 
was come to was this idea that procedural is very specifically a sort of law and order CSI type show where you're working within the structure of a police agency seeing how they go, like work through a case you know all the kind of scientific yes. sort of steps and you, you go from point A to B to C as opposed to a whodunit where you're kind of following a train of clues right. or these kind of monster of the week type of shows where you're sort of following just the mayhem and 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 the the heroes are kind of catching up right or being or you know dead bodies are being dropped in their lap as they go but it got us thinking about shows that are sort of mystery shows and we mentioned Arcadia we'll come back to that and Angel was something that popped into my head because we've talked before about the do-gooder show right the show that has the you know the 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 either itinerant hero or the private detective who's you know you know making the world a better place and and, right. and you know solving the 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 going out and solving crimes and or helping people and angel is definitely that right i mean it's angel yeah. is essentially a supernatural private investigator show he helps the hopeless and he is exactly this right i mean yeah. he i mean he gets to be quirky in that he's a vampire but he is the straight man brooding mm. sort of by the book like he has you know in terms of he has his rules that he sets well, in and place. he is definitely the straight man of the series everyone else is wacky around him or quirky uh, yeah. in some way and and Cordelia. And Cordelia yeah. is that kind of like... Without being a manic pixie dream princess. Well, I guess that's the question. Is she? Like, is she sort of there essentially just to kind of no, draw him she, out? No, I don't think so. Because as the series progresses, she becomes really grounded as a character. Yeah. Like, and and has real... She has real wisdom and insight to dispense that is not just... Let's listen to the shins. <laughs> yes, no, that is that is true. Well, that's 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 the thing, right? She's able to serve serve herself and be her own character, and that's part of my my discomfort with these sort of straight laced foils in the, in these shows we've been talking about. You, you know, mean the female characters. Yeah, mm. in that I don't think that I don't think that's fair to call Abby Mills. I'm going to defend my Abby No, you, you certainly can. I just, I feel like there is this trend in these, yes. you know, oh, in, a, in a lot of these shows and especially in these supernatural yeah. mysteries or whatever we want to kind of think of them as, yeah. right? I mean, and I think the fact that we're sort of, you're, you're continuing your Sleepy Hollow watch and we're just starting our Lucifer yeah. watch and both of them have that, that, right. that very similar dynamic. I am a quirky British fish out of water. Mm. Who doesn't who doesn't understand or refuses to play by how society right. operates, and you are the the like established female like yeah. you know who's 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 gonna sort of waggle the finger <laughs> or or at least give some serious side eye. Uh, yes, and and yeah, and then this and this speaks to not just again not just these shows, but I think a lot of television. Now we don't watch neither of us watch. You know, CSI, Law and Orders. Uh, sorry, Mom. <laughs> I did have a brief flirtation with CSI. Oh, did you? Point. Well, it was. I think it was when I was living at the House of Cheese, okay. or like when I used to go over and hang out with them and like watch Lost. Oh, I see. There okay. would be some CSI on after Lost, and I occasionally. I see. Watched a little bit of like the original CSI. Okay. It was fine. It was a little quirky. Yes. It was. It was the show that tried to make the like nerdy scientist types the heroes of the oh, forensics I see. world so it was kind of lovable for that reason but but i did watch i did watch these kind of mystery shows in these do-gooder shows the commish the um the pretender you know early edition you know a lot of these i guess early edition was less of a mystery show and more of a sort of solving cataclysms but generally speaking these kind of either monster of the week you know investigation shows or just generally there's there's something wrong that we have to fix um, and it's interesting to see, because what you were thinking was how we seem to be getting a lot more of these with the supernatural shows, right? Yeah, I just, or there, there seem to be, like, shows that, that want to have some kind of supernatural premise end up getting pushed into a procedural framework in order to make them a viable commodity on television. Okay. I'm thinking of something like, I never watched The X-Files, so I don't really know, but, uh, Fringe or, uh... Fringe or Sleepy Hollow or Lucifer are the examples that I... Or uh, Pushing Daisies. Or Pushing Daisies. Pushing Daisies was the other one that I was thinking of. Um, where there's this, like, slightly heightened conceit, but in order to be palatable on television, we have to put it in this, like, really familiar uh, set format. 
Well, what's been interesting, I guess, both with Pushing Daisies and with Lucifer, is that as opposed to an X-Files or an Angel or a Fringe or a Sleepy Hollow, the mystery of the monster of the week isn't supernatural. In Pushing Daisies, it was always just a regular yeah. murder. Yeah. And so far on Lucifer, They've it's not that, murders. oh, there's yeah. demons that are loose that Lucifer has well, to track and, down. Yeah, and Sleepy Hollow is a weird example because there is the procedural element, even in the first season, which was the strongest uh, part of Sleepy Hollow, though there was this procedural element to it because you're dealing with, like, actual police investigations and, like, trying to solve crimes, those were usually tied in in some way to the overarching... Metaplot. Metaplot, even if it was kind of monster... Like, what monster Moloch is summoning up that week or what it was tied in in some way. So there was this, like, I think the first season had this really interesting blending of the procedural and the supernatural. And I think the other show we had been talking about was Hannibal. Well, yes. The first season of Hannibal is effectively a procedural as well with this, like, not supernatural, but certain, unless you want to take the tack that Hannibal Lecter is actually Satan. Um, but a a kind of twist on the police procedural. Well, yeah, and, and the the... Murders, some of the murders were tied to the meta plot, but a lot of them weren't. In season one, the majority were just random serial yeah. killers that they're chasing down. I mean, you know, Fringe, you know, Fringe, like with Supernatural, I think, did a similar thing in that there were these weird things cropping up, but they were tied to these larger questions yeah. of, you know, either the terrorists from yeah. beyond or the, you know, the other agents from yeah. beyond or the weird lizard clone things. I, I got out of Fringe. Fringe. <laughs> I, I pass that hat on to you. It is knew, true. After I, I mocked you, I mocked you for watching Fringe, and then I was like, ooh, what are you watching? Oh, let's go back and start the first season again. And, and I, then... I knew I lost you when you stopped calling them Pacey and Dr. Denethor and started using <laughs> their actual characters. Ter- I know. I know. That was the greatest betrayal in our marriage was when I started was when I started calling them Peter and Walter. Shame, shame. Know, um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I learned their names. But, I mean, I grew up in a house of mystery, you know? Like, I was, my, my you know, Murder, She Wrote was one of the first shows I remember, you know? And, we you know, we watched PBS's Mystery. Like, that was that was my parents, my you know, if my mom was any kind of, of genre nerd, it was for murder mysteries. You yeah. Know, we just, we had our house filled with, you know, Agatha Christie and, and Guy Marsh and just all sorts of, of classic um, Ellis Peters. Uh, mystery novelists. So it is. it was interesting for me to think about the spectrum of whodunit to kind of do-gooder mystery solving to, to the procedural, to the but kind is, of... But is the two do-gooder show a mystery solving show? Oftentimes. Is it? Sometimes. I mean, there's... Because there's... They, they, have to, they have to figure out what needs to be done in order to like affect some good end or prevent something well if it's something like if it's something like the commission well the commission was was a police show uh but it feels or the mountie show i mean these, yeah. are, these are crimes that they're solving but they 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 have more of that feel of the kind of right. do-gooder show yeah. kind of reacting to stuff or chase you know as opposed to the the procedural which is again this sort of moving from point to point to point to yeah. point and not just kind of you know not just having like, oh, suddenly we're being shot at by the criminals so and my and Diefenbaker is chasing, you know, this guy across Baker. across a roof. You know, like or you know, even even because I was asking, you know, shows that have still that research component, like Buffy and Angel, you know, they have that kind of let's go to the quote unquote lab yeah. to solve this. How is that structurally different from other types of procedural dramas? And I don't know. Um, cause, cause on the surface, they seem very similar. But I think what's, I think the problem with the, 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 the ubiquity and the frustration with procedurals is they are that they are procedural, right? Mm-hmm. There's like this set. Cause I, th- I think I, I only saw a little bit of that conversation because Sundays. Yep, I was that you were, you were working. <laughs> um, but it seems like the suggestion was there had to be some element of like actual law enforcement professionalism to make a show a procedural and maybe that's because it it has this like very step by step by step element whereas even if something like Buffy they're going back to the books it's not 
pros- the, the the procedures are not necessarily followed in exactly the same way. No, it each time. But but I want to go into something like, and I guess this goes into we haven't quite solved the problem of mystery versus procedural. But for me, the difference in something like Buffy or Angel or any of these these other shows that might have a monster of the week element or are the do-gooding type of show like the Mountie or Touched by an angel. Let's no. throw that one in there. If we're gonna just like really embrace the '90s cheese, um, is that those shows were trying to do something right? Like Buffy is trying. So- sometimes there would be a death on Buffy. Sometimes there would be someone killed. But it was also we need to figure this out to prevent something happening. We need to prevent the end of the world. We need to prevent these demons from opening the Hellmouth. We need to prevent them from doing whatever it is they're going to do that's going to be really bad. Or find out what the prophecy means. Or find out what the prophecy means. Whereas I feel like the problem with a lot of these procedural shows is it's the thing has already been done. Particularly when you look at something like Lucifer. What is so ultimately boring and procedural about Lucifer is that it's, okay, there is a murder. Yes. And we have to solve the murder. Not to... Not to do something good in the world or not, but so that the person can be punished or the crime can be solved and justice can be served. And I think there's something fundamentally a lot more pessimistic about that. Like there's no, there's no, what are we doing positively, but just crappy stuff happens. And I guess we should figure out who did it. Well, in that case, I mean, and that's entirely in the same realm as the classic whodunits, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, Poirot is not out there trying to save London. It's no. just someone is murdered and they call Poirot or they call Sherlock yeah. Holmes or, you know, Miss Marple stumbles across So it. are we trying to solve it just for the sake of answering the question? And is that... I, okay, I, I say this as someone who has never liked murder mysteries. Yeah. Even the Peter Whimsy ones. I'm sorry, <laughs> rest of the Anglican world. Um, I love Gowdy Knight. I love Dorothy Sayers' other works, but, like, I have just never... I like the elements of her books where she manages to, like, deal with larger societal issues, but I do not fundamentally care about murder mysteries. And I don't know if it's because there's no, like... the that If that's all you're concerned with, there's no other space for, you know, human emotions and... Something beyond that vision. And if the police procedural is just the latest iteration of, you know, paperback murder mysteries, then maybe that's the reason I've never been able to get into them. Because there's, I want, I want that heightened narrative and I want, I am a shipper. (laughs) You are. Well, no, I'll 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 tell you the appeal of a a traditional whodunit murder mystery. And the appeal is that you you get to the end and all the pieces have come together and everything works. But also that... there's a kind of intellectual satisfaction. Well, and there's there's a puzzle to it, right? Yeah. Like, I think the, the general social contract of a murder mystery is that you are given all the clues right. that the detective has. Can you figure it out yeah. before it's revealed? Yeah. And that's yeah. the game. And a procedural, you can't do that because the clues are, are constantly being revealed. Mm. Like, you're getting them as the police are getting them, and they have tools you don't have access to, mm. right? You don't it, think that's... But, I mean, in... I don't know that I... I mean, I, I feel like the line between the conventional murder mystery and the procedural is is a lot more similar because you are getting the, like they, they may have access to information that we don't have, but that information is shared with us in a police procedural. Sort of, but I think, I think it's, I think it's meted out in a different way. And this Mm. is, we can now get, if we really want to look at an amazing breakdown of this, we can go watch Murder by Death, which is an amazing movie uh, uh, with unfortunate uh, 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 yellow face on the part of Peter Sellers. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Although Peter Sellers is playing uh, Charlie Chan, who was a character often betrayed by white actors. So there's a question is, is Peter Sellers, is, are they commenting on that or is it just... Well, we've, Peter Sellers can play lot, an Asian it's person. It's a lot to hope for the '80s, Lehman. Um, but it's it's Alec Guinness as the as the butler right. Benson mom. Oh, Benson? No, Benson mom. <laughs> um, and it has Truman Capote as the kind of the mad genius. But the idea is they've brought all these mur- like right. um, murder mystery characters to a you know a, a mansion to figure out who has done a murder, 
and they're each of them indicted for the various narrative sins. Yes. You know, like you withhold information until the final act <laughs> and, you know, you, you know, have absolutely no logic. You know, there's no logical structure yeah. in your stories. Um, and so I think there's this idea that the, the, the perfect murder mystery, the, you know, murder she wrote. I guess would be the example I would go back to. And Murder, She Wrote, you literally see everything she sees. And they highlight, you know, like, you know, she'll notice that someone has a wet shoe. And you'll see there's a wet shoe. And you just, you could figure out what that wet shoe means. But you usually don't have as much time as uh, uh, Angela Lansbury has um, to figure this all out. But but the clues are all there. And in theory, you could you could figure it out. Um, but I, And that's not the case with – that's certainly not the case with sort of do-goodery type shows yeah. where just action is being thrown at it and, and Deephan Baker is chasing folks. Or, you know, the, the, the random demons, you know, kind of yeah. Nazi demons show up out of the blue. Um and I, but yeah, procedures. I don't think you, you you can't do the same thing because someone someone will come forward, or the the criminal that they have pegged, or the suspect they have pegged will 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 f- suddenly have an alibi that they were too ashamed to admit earlier. Right. So it's yeah, that's that's it's different. It doesn't have the you know procedurals don't have the kind of just charm of a do gooder yeah. or like private investigator like mm. show, and they don't have the kind of societal contract. Of a murder mystery. And then you get even more bizarro with things like Columbo, where you know from the get-go who the murderer is. And it's about how Columbo will figure out how they do it. And that's, I mean, the show lasted for a long time, but that doesn't sound like a particularly satisfying premise. What does do that very well, though, is Arcadia. Yes. Because Arcadia is half a mystery. Right. So, and this was the play that we did this this drawing room reading of. And it was funny that we were asked to do it because when Rachel and I first came to Kenyon back in 2000, that was the very first main stage play that was being put on. And it was the very first main stage play here that I did. I got to play the butler. I did not do it. I got a callback. You did get a callback. Which back. I only remembered like yesterday. <laughs> I was like, oh, right. I actually got a callback for that show as a freshman. I'm so proud of me. I should have... Your one show you auditioned for? My one show that I ever auditioned for at Kenya. Maybe I should have auditioned for more shows. Indeed. But I got into stage managing. Yeah, where the real power is. Where the real power is, it's true. But for those who don't know, Arcadia is a Tom Stoppard play set in two different times. It's set in 1809 and 19... And the 1990s. The modern era. Yes. As we were reading, I was like, ooh, right. 90s. and and it's academics in the 1990s trying to figure out what happened in the eight, in 1809 and so you as the audience are able to sort of see what's going on and like colombo you sort of know the answer to the the question that is being asked but it's the way it's being asked is very right. interesting because stoppard in this play does a very good job of investing you in the characters and making yeah. you interested in the characters in both time periods yeah. um and and seeing how this mystery will play out and it, and it and it works, but but this I was thinking about that as as we were thinking about you know shows dealing with mystery. I'm like, well, in a so in a weird way, Arcadia is sort of a murder mystery because there is this question of a duel that may or may not have happened, mm. and who murdered whom in this duel, and the or in fact was anyone murdered? Well, or in, in, what just what role does that monkey play? Yeah, um, and. And yeah, and it's funny because we come from very different households. You know, it, it, you, you know, crime. I don't think crime shows, and certainly not who done it shows, were part of your childhood, but they were certainly a huge part of mine. And even though I haven't carried that love yeah. forward, like it's, I just, I recognize it and I know it, mm. and I, you know, I respond to it. I was enjoying, um, oh, what was that, that, that sweet like nineteen twenties Australian. Uh, kind of murder mystery show oh that the Giselle one with yeah the one with the girl who'd been on Fa- farscape miss foster it was, or something like yes, that yes it was australian so it obviously it involved people who'd been on farscape uh, yes all roads lead to farscape here at geek Leo. that is very true um but i mean i i was able to sort of be like oh i i can follow this and i understand what's going on and like i could you know just looking up at the screen i could figure out yeah. which part of the story we are in <laughs> and um and that's and that's, but that's very, very different. Like procedurals have never had a huge appeal. Like I'm not, in, I'm mm. not invested in those murders. Interesting. Uh, in the same way, or like, and and I don't know if it's because the characters are given such like very limited little beats or right. sort of buy-ins. Um, and I think that's for me what I need in a show, and that's why something like Hannibal works so well, 
because it's it's again character over this yeah. this question of who done it. Castle was, was apparently very good at that. Well, well, and Castle was super shippery. And Castle again, yeah. quirky, quirky male lead, mm-hmm. and his and his you know straight lace put upon. Oh, Castle, what have you done yeah. this time? Um, even House, which was there, you go. Was, that was that was the 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 straight laced. Was, are we talking about Robert Sean Leonard or uh, the administrator of the hospital? He got he got both, but <laughs> House is probably the procedural oh, show. House is a total procedural, and that's because well, it's Sherlock Holmes as well. Yeah, but House was probably the procedural that that both of us watched. Yes, I mean you watched it more I than I did. I watched it. I watched at least the first two seasons. Yeah, and at some point I gave up. Um, but what what kept you going with House? Oh, the fact that House was so awesome. Okay. I just, House himself was really compelling. And yeah. Hugh Laurie. And the other characters were definitely interesting. Like, I liked that, um, I like any show that has a character who was like a former seminarian and, and their <laughs> yeah. faith is still somehow present in how the character is conceived and and manages to do that well. So, like, the the weird Australian dude on House. Oh, right, right, right. Um, his backstory was that he had been in seminary. Had he been on Farscape? He was a little too young for the first kid, I think. They had weird kids um, running around. It's true. Uh, those were mostly Ben Bradley. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, but I mean, let's go back to your your sort of initial complaint with the procedural as being this kind of cynical response to show. I mean, did you find that with House? Well, the problem with House is that everything got, like, you got the answer to the question and they fixed the disease. Mm. And then it was like... Hey, we discovered you had cancer and you take this pill and suddenly you're great. <laughs> yeah. And it was also super problematic because the first time they actually like let a patient die, it was a homeless person. And it was like, this person doesn't matter. They're not really a human being. Oh. We can just let them die. Oh, good job, House. It was House. like, good job, House. You did it. Yep. Nice. Um, so, I mean, that was the problem with House. This is that it was. It was a procedural, but it was not just trying to figure out what happened, but it actually affected. And you had the sort of the ticking clock. And of it, like, you had a ticking clock of, we have to get this solved and find out the answer in order to save this person. How to save a Although life. the interesting thing, I mean, what made House like an interesting character is he didn't actually care about saving the person necessarily. He just cared about breaking every professional <laughs> yeah, pretty much. rule boundary. <laughs> Speaking of sexual I, harassment. I think one of the best uh, memes going around the internet is the every episode of House. <laughs> Did you give them the medicine? No. If we give them the medicine, they will die. He needs more of the medicine. Yeah. People just looking stunned. Is it lupus? No, it's never lupus. <laughs> Something vaguely racist. Angry <laughs> face. But I think, I think House does in a way pinpoint that problem with procedurals when it is just about finding an answer and just about getting the solution it's less compelling than the character beats so what do we hope what do we hope is the sort of future trajectory of this for either you know supernatural shows we're seeing like lucifer or just going forward like what would what sort of crime shows if we take we take for red do we have to take do we have to watch crime shows well, I mean, they, that's the problem they is seem that to be every show in, right? has to be a crime show. I mean, I guess it kind of goes back decades, but... Well, that's the thing, right? You it's, have something like Alfred Hitchcock Presents or... Yes. <laughs> um, Murder, She Wrote. But it seems like you can't you can't get away from the, the stock of someone is killed or that crime has been committed and... The, the authorities so have to figure does out... Come, does this come from, like, our, our human need and desire for justice? To have people to know that, like, the right person has been caught for a crime? Or does it come from our need for, like, our need to believe that there is order in the universe that that when something terrible happens, it can somehow be made right if this, if the, if it is figured out, which is problematic itself? It goes back to my sermon for this morning. It's oh. all about, like, un, <laughs> undoing certainty and realizing that we live in messiness and complications <laughs> and complexities and... That we can't actually have easy answers to, for anything, and yet we feel compelled to have easy answers to things. And is that where the procedural comes from? Like, I mean, I think House is... Sorry, I'm getting really, like, rambly and talking fast. But I think House is a great example for that, right? Medical problems are complicated. Medical problems very rarely have 
very clear answers. Everyone's like we're realizing more and more that everyone's cancer is incredibly unique yeah. to that person, and everyone needs incredibly individualized treatment. And yet, a show like House made us believe that if we just had a doctor who was smart enough who could figure out our complicated situations, then we would get fixed because of the medicine drug. Yes. <laughs> um, that was what the meme was. The med- Did you give her the medicine drug? Um, that we just get the right pill and suddenly we're going to get fixed. And there's a part of us that is going to be really happy to believe we live in a world where that makes... I, I, I'm thinking about Dorothy Sayers, right? And okay. Dorothy Sayers has an essay talking about the mystery genre. I think it's called Problem Picture or something like that. And I'm going to not do it justice. But it is, I mean, Dorothy Sayers in her essays, they are largely written in the wake of World War One and World War Two, And basically in, in the wake of this collapse of the promise of modernity, the collapse of this idea that, that everything was progressing and everything was like the course of history was always getting better and that we could be smart enough to always be improving as a human race. And then World War One and World War Two happened and that just kind of Western civilization sort of fell apart. And uh, her essay is basically talking about why we love mystery novels is we love putting together pieces and believing that the world is a problem picture that can be solved. And yet the truth is that it is not. No, precisely. And it's been interesting to see what shows buck this trend and i'm suddenly in just in the in the in the waning uh minutes of our our podcast thinking of shows that problematize police shows uh luther and prime suspect being two mm. that jump to mind and these are very british uh maybe this speaks to you know the, the fact that the brits are willing to play yes. with this in a way that america isn't quite yet but you know these were these were shows where you you know the police wouldn't get there in time or right. like you're dealing with really severe subjects like you know child prostitution or you know yeah. you know elements like that and you see you see the toll on both the kind of the main characters and on kind of society mm. at large and and in a lot of ways it's about watching these main characters get tortured same with the wallander um series um and I think this is something the Scandinavians also deal with. It's, mm. it's just punishing punishing their leads. And right. instead of pairing them off happily, just like having them dwelling in, in divorce and, right. and sadness. Um, or in the case of Luther, forming friendships with terrible serial killers. Right. Um, but man, Luther's good times. If you want to see Idris Elba, just like be tortured for an right. hour an episode. Um, but yeah, I, when you, when I you... don't need to see that. <laughs> just for the record. Um but even but even still, even within that, there is a tidy-ish bow, right? It doesn't just end with paperwork, right? Yeah. It doesn't just end with, well, uh, now there's going to be a, a, an internal review that's going to take <laughs> up the next six episodes. Um, and I mean, it's funny, you know, shows that 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 certainly are, are, are have tidy endings to them, but at least play with the messiness and play with the frustrations are comedies, right? Brooklyn Nine Nine yeah. shows the like the dysfunction or trying to work within a bureaucracy, and not in just a way that's kind of uh evil uh, evil defenders trying to get people off you know out yeah. of prison. Like it's not like that's we can get into its art the own problem yeah. of how we've you know we've made prosecutors these noble heroes and yes. and public defenders these scheming villains. Um, but 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 I don't know. It's it's interesting how comedy you know is able to at least kind of deflate the seriousness yeah. or deflate the kind of the hero worship uh, in a in an interesting way. Sounds good to me. So there we go. So that's our our thought on on the world of, of mystery and how it plays into the various things that we like. I'll go back to shipping. It could be ah, uh, it could be. It could be. Uh, well, that'll be I think it from us. Uh, unless you have anything exciting to to tell the folks about coming up. Nope, I'm good. I'm going to be at something called a Chautauqua on Thursday. So if you're in the Mount Vernon, Ohio area, you can come see me (laughs) do Lovecraft at a Chautauqua. From the world of faith, family, fandom, in no particular order, geek out, y'all. South. East. Open window. Enter house. West. 
get lamp, move rug, open trap door, light the lamp down southeast, get the painting, north up, up, get knife and rope down west, open case with painting, in case drop knife, get sword open, trap turn down north, kill the troll with sword, drop sword east, east, southeast, east, tie the rope to railing, climb down rope southeast, get coffin west, south, pray, douse lamp, south, north, east, down to canyon bottom, north, drop coffin open, coffin, get scepter, wave scepter, look, get gold and coffin, south west, up to canyon view, northwest, west, enter house and open bag, get garlic west, put coffin, scepter and the golden case, open trap door and light the lamp. Down north, east, north, northeast, east, north, get the matches, north, get wrench and screwdriver, push shallow buttons, south, south, turn the bolt with wrench, south, down, west, south, east, east, climb down, rope, get torque, south, south, and south, get the bell, book candles, enter, hold down, ring the bell, light matches, light the candles with the match, read book, draw books, south, get the stall, north, up, north, douse the candles, rub the mirror. Put the torch in mask and light the lamp north down east, northeast, southeast, southwest, down, down to the ladder bottom, south, get coal north up to ladder, top up northeast, south, north, up south, put the coal and screwdriver in basket, lower basket, north, down east, northeast, southeast, southwest, down, down west, drop all enter, crack get coal, torch and screwdriver, south, open lid, put coal into machine, close lid, turn switch with screwdriver, open lid, get diamond, drop screwdriver, north, put the torch and diamond in the basket, east, east, get skull, lamp and garlic, east, north, to the ladder bottom, through the coal mine, to the gas room, get raised, lead up south, raise basket, get the torch and Diamond turn off lamp west, get jade southeast south and enter slide up with the diamond jade, the bracelet and the torch into the cage drop garlic, turn on lamp northeast north northeast north get trunk. North get air pump, north get trident, south to reservoir, south east east and play boat with pump, get in boat, say launch, wait, 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 wait. Get boy east to the beach exit boat, get the shovel, northeast, dig with shovel, dig, dig, dig. Drop shovel, get the scarab, south the drop boy, open boy, get emerald, south to the fall, cross rainbow, turn off lamp, south went to canyon, bottom up the canyon, view back to the white house and the living room, put chest trident and roll, and the scarab in the case, east, east, north, north, climb the tree, get it, climb down, south, east, back to living room, light lamp, down, northwest, south, up, take the coins and key, southwest, east, south, southeast, to the cyclops room, Odysseus. Put the coins in case, get knife west up, kill the thief with knife, kill the thief with knife! Get all down northwest, southwest, up, down northeast, unlock grade, open grade, up south, climb tree, wind up canary, climb down, get bobble, go back to living room, room with canary, from the egg, put a canary, bobble, stiletto, and case down northeast, till you reach the loud room, echo! Get bar west, until the troll room, south, up, put, all except the lamp, into the case. I hate grooves.